Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, real talk. Think you're too cool for Valentine's Day? Well, let me tell you something. She probably wouldn't mind getting a little box from Shane Company tied with a burgundy bow. Want to say, I love you more every day? We've got the perfect gift for that. Or maybe you just want to say, I've got a crush on you. We've got a gift for that too. Whatever you choose, she'll cherish it forever. And she'll think about you whenever she wears it. With our awesome selection of fine jewelry in every price range, you'll easily find an amazing gift. Necklaces with colorful gemstones, stylish earrings, bracelets, and rings crafted to the highest standards. And don't worry, we'll make it easy for you. Come in or visit us at shanko.com. Our friendly team of knowledgeable jewelry consultants will help you find the perfect Valentine's Day gift. Visit us in San Mateo, Walnut Creek, or in Cupertino, where we've moved to a new location just two miles down Stevens Creek Boulevard. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and Shaneco.com. At Firehouse Subs, a portion of every purchase helps provide life-saving equipment to first responders. We make our subs differently because our subs can make a difference. Like our fan-favorite turkey bacon ranch, piled high with tender smoked turkey breast, crispy bacon, melted sharp cheddar cheese, and drizzled with creamy peppercorn ranch. And it's only at Firehouse Subs. Click the banner now to start your pickup or delivery order. Welcome to the Browns Wire Podcast. This is Josh Keatley. With me is Adam Moore. Adam, we uh, we did pretty poor last week with our best bets, but I guess we'll start off with, with the good news. The Browns came off of a very successful win. I know that the Miami Dolphins are the Miami Dolphins, and right now they currently stand at 2-9, and nine, so they're definitely not the best team in the NFL. But they're still an NFL team, and they beat them 41-24. to 24. They smashed the spread. They smashed the Dolphins. They look good, man. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit last week about how this was a spot where Cleveland could put up a big number. So it was it was good to actually kind of see that happen on the field and kind of, uh, you know, the things that we discussed last, last week kind of come to fruition. So anytime you get a win in the NFL, it's a good thing. And anytime you put up 40 points in the NFL, it's a good thing. Something to be happy about. Yeah, I mean, I know the Browns are only five and six now, but they I feel like they've put themselves in a position where they're actually fighting for the playoffs now. Obviously, mm-hmm. it'd be the wild card. Now the Ravens are just running wild on everybody. Uh, but Baker Mayfield looked great in the, fir- in the first half specifically. He threw for 327 yards with three touchdowns. I know he cooled off in the second half, uh, but I'm okay with that. If you start out every game like that in the first half, then I- I'm great with it. Yeah, yeah. When you go up, when you go into halftime up 28 to three, there's nothing to complain about. And coming out in the second quarter, you can understand why, you know, why the Cleveland tried to get Chubb and, and Hunt going on the ground to kind of bleed out that lead. But Miami did make a, a big, big push back in the third quarter, scoring 17 points and kind of made it a, an 11-point game there. But it was good to see Cleveland kind of close it out there um, with a couple extra touchdown drives at the end. Yeah, I will say that I was a little bit disappointed with the defense. We talked about how the Dolphins weren't very good. Preston Williams was hurt. Um, you know, they have some other injuries. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, we talked about him not being very good. Um, but with that said, you didn't have any Garrett. You didn't have any Olivia Vernon, no Ogunjobi, and no Burnett. 
So, I mean, mm-hmm. you had guys like Sion Taki Taki who had two tackles, uh, Porter Gustin who had a sack, and uh, Brian Cox Jr. who also had three tackles, one tackle for loss. So when you had those guys playing meaningful minutes, it's hard to be upset about it. No, no, you can't complain about that at all. And uh, I thought you were going to bring it up right here, but I think it's as good as good a time as any. But Joe Schobert with another two picks. Yeah, that's four That's four picks in two weeks. So he's the, he's only the sixth linebacker to record two interceptions in back-to-back games. Did you know that? I had no idea. Do you know who the other five are? I know. I had no clue. But I just that saw that. Be, that. I thought it was interesting. I would love to figure out who who that who those other five are. That's crazy. He's, he, he really he puts himself in position. He's got great instincts. It's crazy how underrated he is. Um, he just he goes out there. He does his job at a high level. He makes everybody around him better. Uh, he makes Taki Taki better, Mac Wilson better. He's great in coverage. There's few linebackers that are as good as him in coverage. Um, you know, it's funny, too, because we talked about Porter Gustin. Have you seen how good-looking that guy is? He, his, have you seen his body? <laughs> Him with not, his shirt. I, when the Browns, when the Browns signed him, I've never been so, I've never been so like you know smitten with the yeah. Cleveland Browns player since Brady Quinn, my friend. Oh yeah, dude. So so he's so Brady Quinn, Jimmy G. So he's got to be what? He's got to be first team all looks then. Oh yeah, Porter Gust, dude. You got Google. He was a defensive end out of USC. Google him with his shirt off, dude. Pecs for days, bro. <laughs> Just glistening in the sunlight. Long blonde hair. He's every. He's he. He's what every man wants to be, and what every woman wants to be with. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on, uh, yeah. The, the, I think the offense looked great. The defense looked okay. Uh, you yeah. know, it is it is what it is. They're going to be moving on to the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. Did you have anything to add about the Dolphins game before we move on? No, I mean I thought. Um... I thought the offense played well. They, they jumped out, got two touchdowns there early. I thought Baker played really well. We talked last week about how this was a good spot for Nick Chubb. He had 21 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. He also uh, got involved a little bit in the passing game with three receptions for 58 yards. He had that big screen in the first drive to kind of, uh, to, to kind of jumpstart the game there. Uh, Jarvis Landry, revenge game. Against oh, Miami, yeah. 13 Huge. targets, 10 catches, 148 yards, two touchdowns. We talked last week about how he's playing really, really well. And to me, he, at, you know, at this point, he's really the the engine behind that offense. Yeah, I mean, and OBJ, OBJ had his first touchdown since like week two. Kareem Hunt had yeah. got his first touchdown as a Cleveland Brown. I know he didn't light up the stat sheet. I think he only had about 40 yards and a, you know a couple like 10 yards to take receiving. Uh, yeah. But he still, I think he still averaged over four yards a touch, so it's still pretty impressive. He just, you know, they didn't. It wasn't really a game where they needed him. Nick Chubb, right. there was never really any concern in, in my eye. Nick Chubb's going to go out there and he's going to do what he does. He does that against good teams. I came away extremely impressed with Baker Mayfield. Uh, you know, I think at one point he was. I know at one point he was 11 for 13 for 168 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, those stats are insane. Those stats yeah. are insane. He put him in a position where at one point they were up 28 0. I know the Dolphins got the field goal before half, but I mean, 28 0, I mean, that's, that's incredible. I mean, Baker Mayfield yeah. really struggled early on this year. There's no mistake in that, but he's definitely found his form. Um, you know, I've come away very impressed with him. I think that he's really found his groove. Yeah, Hunt, they didn't, you know, Hunt, he wasn't involved in in this game plan as, as he has been in the past couple. He only had eight car- eight carries, 37 yards. I don't think they needed him. I yeah, think everything I just kind of exploded. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, you mentioned Beckham getting a touchdown, getting on the board, six catches, 84 yards on eight targets. Um, first time since 2013 that Landry and Beckham have scored touchdowns in the same game. I, I didn't think it'd take till week 13 to be able to say that, but hey, they both got on the board in this game, and that's a good thing. Uh, one more thing about Landry before we move on. 
You know he's the first Cleveland wide receiver with four consecutive uh, games with a touchdown since 2001? Who was the one in 2001? You have a guess? Well, let's see here. You got Quincy Morgan, Kevin Johnson, Braylon Edwards. Nope, Braylon Edwards is too young for that. Let's go with uh, let's go with uh, Quincy Morgan. Kevin Johnson, actually. Is it Kevin Johnson? Okay, was, okay. Yeah. That's a little walk down uh, memory lane. Kevin Johnson was the second round pick out of Syracuse uh, during the expansion draft in 1999. So the first, obviously, everybody remembers the first pick, Tim Couch. Second round pick was Kevin Johnson. Yep. That is that is a fun fact. Kevin Johnson <laughs> never really lived up to it, but you know, yeah. few from. Yeah, you know, the team was so terrible. Few that's really that's did. great recall on your part. Well, you know, some would consider me a bit of an expert, Chad. I'm a little a savant. Oh, I'm <laughs> hey, I'm I'm a master when it comes to obscure players. Ask me oh, about I, Travis Prentice sometime. Oh, I know. Yeah, I will. <laughs> but hey, one one thing, one one more last thing before we move on. I think uh, we we haven't really talked about it in the last couple of weeks, but one of the big concerns for Cleveland. Um, this year has been its red zone offense. They scored on four out of five red zone possessions this week, which I think is a huge plus. Absolutely. And overall, they just they just dominated the game on the offensive side of the ball. They they possessed the, the ball for 36 minutes. They outgained Miami 467 yards to 284 yards. They had 30 first downs, which means they were really putting drives together, moving the football. And they had seven yards per play. And I know a lot of the betting guys and the Vegas guys love yards per play. I think that's one of the best metrics to really look at. And uh, anytime you're getting seven yards to play, you're going to have a have a good day. Yeah, it's really impressive. You know, we always knew that they had the talent. It's just about putting putting it together and making Baker comfortable. Uh, you know, ma- letting OBJ be OBJ, letting Landry be Landry, putting them in positions to be successful. You know, we I'm sure you watched the Monday Night Football game with the the Ravens and Rams. It's a perfect example. You have to have a mesh of talent and coaching, right? If yeah. you don't, if you don't have Greg Roman there calling an expertise level of offense, then you have another RG three situation. But because Greg Roman is there. Lamar Jackson's elite talents are able to really thrive and, and show through. Uh, you know, I think it's the same thing with Baker Mayfield. I think I, I don't think it's insane for me to say Baker Mayfield is on that level. I mean, we saw it last year. Baker Mayfield has MVP, Super Bowl caliber, All Pro caliber performances. He does. He's got that kind of skill set. He really does. He's one. Of the, I don't think it's it's biased for me to say he's one of the most accurate passers in in pro football. Yeah. But you still have to make him comfortable. You still have to put him in situations where he can thrive at. Yeah, and I think I agree you're getting you. there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think we're kind of see starting to see the progression in the coaching. I, I know we had talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about how we were concerned. Uh, you know, Freddie Kitchen was just kind of thrown into this as the head coach. He didn't have a whole lot of experience before game planning or, or kind of running an organization. So hopefully we've seen him get his feet underneath of him, take a breath, and he's going to be able to kind of move forward with this offense. Uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, you hit it on the head. He, he is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL and but he hasn't played that way this year so it's, it's good to kind of see him again get his feet underneath of him and really kind of get back to what he does best and, and throw, throw an accurate pass yeah he, he I think a lot of his problem early on was that he was playing too uptight uh you mm-hmm. know I was talking to a buddy about the Indianapolis Colts with Jacoby Brissett Jacoby Brissett has always had a lot of physical talent he's always had a big arm he's always been fairly accurate even dating back to his days at Florida I believe he was a four or five star recruit but what has always killed him as he holds on to the ball too long and in college he was able to get away with it a little bit because when he held on to the ball for too long he was a good enough athlete to where he get, was able to still pick up a few yards uh but you know in the nfl that doesn't really work that way so when he's on he's feeling it he's a very good quarterback when he's right. not 
you know, and he struggles or T.Y. Hilton drops a couple balls, it really takes him out of his game. Now, obviously, Baker Mayfield, I think we both agree, is worlds better than Joe, Jacoby Brissett, but it's just it's just an example that kind of, you know, shines through. I mean, I, I still remember, I think it was against Florida State when Jacoby Brissett just transferred to NC State, and he just lit him up, lit him up. But he only had three or four games that were kind of like that, and the rest of them were just at very ad performances. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Baker um... – I, I feel like he's, he's, he has had kind of like a shift in his mindset. I, I feel, this is just my opinion, that he, they, uh, him and maybe a lot of the players on the team kind of came into this year thinking we've got a lot of talent on this roster. We're just going to be able to roll over people. Well, you just can't do that in the NFL. You, so he, I know I saw the interview he had with Aaron Andrews, uh, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, where he talked about how kind of just getting back to the basics, focusing more yeah. on details. And if there was something that he could have done from the beginning, it would have been, the focus of you know the attention to detail. So I think those are all good good signs for the Browns in this offense moving forward. Yeah, and you know, I think that I think that you probably you you were probably right. You know, if you go in with too much confidence, you think you can do and I think Freddie Kitchen, I was part of Freddie Kitchen's downfall too, is that he thought he could just do what he wanted. That's not the case. You still gotta you, you gotta play by the rules. You gotta it's still the NFL. Those guys are, you know what I mean? The worst quarterback in the league is not that much worse than the best quarterback in the league. It's the NFL. They're the best in the right. world. That's Everybody's how it goes. Good. Yeah, yeah, so you just you still gotta you still gotta play to your strengths and yeah. you know and I think that they're starting to figure that out at least hopefully you know yeah it's yeah, so crazy what? how yeah. fragile these NFL players how I mean you know we're talking about these phenomenal athletes these 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 modern day warriors and it's so crazy how fragile and how quickly things change I mean we were both we were talking about the Giants before the pod started I mean Saquon Barkley he's dealing with a, a high ankle sprain or. I can't, it was a, maybe a, a hamstring issue all all year long, and that's really hampered him. Jared Goff, Jared Goff looked like he looked like somebody that he looked worse than Devlin Hodges last night. You know what I mean? Like, and that that's yeah. not that's not fair to him because we don't he has talent. We've seen it before, but that's just what happens when everything falls apart around you. Mitchell Trubisky, that dude might be done, and that guy was a very accurate passer coming out of UNC. He was a very athletic dude, ran around, find if he found a way to win last year, and now he just he just looks like he wants to hide. Yeah, he went to the Pro Bowl last year, and, and now he looks like he doesn't deserve on an NFL roster. So, yeah, the fall from grace, it can happen quick. Yes. Yeah, and I don't believe it's all on the player's fault. Yeah. No, hey, one thing, I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet, but Swagger Jr. is now 3-0. Are you kidding me? Yeah, dude. You know, I wouldn't even I wouldn't have even known that. <laughs> I would, I've completely forgot that they changed out the mascots, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk for a second about how horrible that name is? Swagger. Swagger. It's such a, it's such a reach to like a, a, yeah. a youth culture that no one cares about. Like you know what I mean? Like right. It's just so it's such a reach. But he's three and zero, huh? Yeah, but and it, but you're, you they doubled down on it with Swagger Junior. They could have chose a completely different name, but no, they got to they got to go Junior. But yeah, he's Swagger Swagger Junior. Swagger the yeah. second. Yeah, he's three and zero. You know that's the that that's the kind of content that sets us apart, people. <laughs> that right there, that and Port Augustine's hot pecs. That right there, that's how that's what we bring to the table, baby. Yeah, that's extreme. I didn't, <laughs> I had no idea. That's amazing. Are there any other masks? Oh, did you see Peta? Peta's all upset about the Georgia Bulldog Uga. No, I didn't see that. You okay? For everybody, I mean, I I'm not surprised Peta's upset about something, but dude. Dude, uh, friend, this is for everybody. Everybody that's listening, get on Twitter, see the photos that Peta Peta has been posting of Georgia's mascot, the white bulldog, and they're talking about how sad he looks and how upset he looks and malnourished he looks. First of all, 
I, I have a bulldog. You've seen my bulldog. That's what they yeah. look like, dude. That's what they – I mean, he could be having the best day of his life, and he's still going to look sad. That's just what <laughs> they look like. It's, so, it's right. hilarious. It's hilarious. But moving on, we'll move on to the, the game preview. Let's anything else to add about the Dolphins? Yep, that's all I got. You know, before I get, I guess I'll add one more thing. You know, we have a couple of interesting topics to talk about. David Njoku is coming back. Um, so I do want to, I do kind of want to go over that and how that might impact the game going forward. Cause David Njoku is a weapon, right? I think that yeah. he may not be a top 10 tight end in the NFL, but he's not far away from that. You know, he had a couple drop issues, but he is a red zone target. So he is coming back and there's a huge upgrade. It's a huge upgrade from Demetrius Harris, Ricky Seals, Jones, Stephen Carlson to him. You know what I mean? Cause those guys just flat out are, you know, fringe roster guys. So I, yeah, I think no, that, I, that I is something we should talk about. Well, we all talked about Njoku as as a top ten tight end before the season started and before he got hurt, and I and I think I think he hit it on the head there. Is he is a huge upgrade to to what we've got at tight end right now? I think you know between Harrison Carlson and Hodge, they had four targets last you know last week. So Njoku is going to be able to step in and hopefully command a larger portion of 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 the role or of the market share of the passing attack. Right now, I just think you know we. we you know, you've seen success with Landry and Beckham and, and even Hunt to, a, to an extent in the passing game. But one thing that I noticed over these past couple of weeks is that the, the passing attack and the targets are very concentrated. So once you get into these one of these matchups where you're going to be playing better teams, you're going to have to be able to spread the ball around and do different things. And I think he, he adds that that aspect to the offense, which I think, you know, you know, especially as, as we move down towards the end of the season here, and we're, we're talking about a wild card, wild card push, he's going to be a big asset. Well, and he does. He he was a big red zone target. You know, I bash on Joku a lot for the drop passes, even though I know he is great. But he does. He drops a few, he drops more passes than he should. He's still a massive upgrade from those other tight ends on the roster. Mm-hmm. He just he just is. He may not be on. Uh, you know, on, on Travis Kelsey's level, and I never, I, I'm not claiming that he is, but he is a massive upgrade from the guys that I can barely make any of the roster. So yep. that will yeah, be I something agree. to look forward to. Move, uh, that'll be something to pay attention to moving forward. Uh, I know they, they're still making rules uh, or uh, making adjustments. I know Ogan Joby's back. Sheldon Richardson played a lot on the edge uh, this past game, but that shows you the versatility and how how worthwhile he was as a free agent sign. So Ogan Joby will be back. That's also a big lift. Uh, a big, it's going to be a big help. They brought in a couple other guys. Uh, to work out. I don't know if you saw this former Buckeye, Noah Spence. They brought him in today to work out. Uh, Noah, Sp- I know that you're very familiar with him. I know that a lot of the listeners are very familiar with him. He he had a little bit of an issue off the field at Ohio State, was eventually kicked off the team, transferred to Eastern Kentucky, actually played with uh, uh, another boy from Ohio, Matty Mock. Do you remember Mock, that yeah. guy? Yeah, who, sure and, who who also had some off-field issues from Missouri that transferred there. Matty Mock went on to do nothing. Noah Spence actually had a very so, successful ca- campaign at Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. And then yeah. I obviously parlayed that into like a third – I think it was second or third round draft choice with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A little bit of a one-trick pony. That's his issue. Yeah. He's kind of got one move. He's not – he's kind of a tweener too, a little small, not real fast. And he just he really relies on that bull rush. So yeah. I don't – I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it. But it right. is always interesting when when the Browns you know bring in a Buckeye to work out. You seem yeah. offended when I bash Matty Mock. <laughs> no, I'm not offended. I was just going to add that, and no one, no listener is going to care about this. But we uh, we are former teammates of Eastern Michigan alum Corey Manns, who also played with Matty Mock at Kenton. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we played yeah with junior high football with him. That, that's then great. He, then he transferred up to Kenton, to win well, state he's... championships without us. Well, he's too good for us. 
Yeah, exactly. That, that's what it comes down to. But yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. That's funny. Yeah. But uh, moving on, the, uh, the Browns do play the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. The Browns are currently five and six, which now they are four, six, and one against the spread. And I do think that that is a big deal. Uh, the Steel, they are te- two point favorites. The Pittsburgh Steelers, who are six and five, who are, are also five, four and two against the spread. Now, what's really interesting about this game is that the, the line opened up with Pittsburgh being a three point favorite. Okay. Uh-huh. But now it's it's now that it's actually game week, right? And everything settled settled a little bit. Cleveland is now a two point favorite, which is also interesting because it is at Pittsburgh. So I my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, your knowledge is far exceeds mine in this realm. Pittsburgh is not known as as a, a an intense home field environment. It's not like Kansas City. It's not like Green Bay. So nope. it would it would count as that average three point home I've field advantage. At, I've got it at two point nine, actually, Josh. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Let's let's round off for the sake yeah. of the easy math, right? So they're basically uh-huh. saying that the Browns are a t- Vegas is saying that the Browns are a touchdown better than Pittsburgh. I find this very interesting because I really felt that Cleveland dominated the last game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. So I kind of thought that the spread would be, would be a little bit bigger. Now, with that said, I looked all this up before uh, Devlin Hodge was announced as the starter. Did you see that news? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and we're we're gonna have to talk about Duck. Yes, now, now, and I I I, I was really in love with that dude. Uh, his junior year, going into his senior year, he put up a, a world of stats uh, for Sanford. He had a very good game against Florida State. I believe that was his junior year as well. Okay, so this is some guy, a, a player. I always fall in love with these a few random small school guys. Um, here and there, I you know Case Cook is from Northern Arizona is kind of a quarterback that I'm paying attention to small school wise this year, right? And most of the time they don't really they don't really go forward with me. I, I, I you know they don't they don't really pan out. I think uh, Anthony, I believe the University of San Diego's quarterback last year that I really liked was named Anthony Lawrence. I don't think he's even on a roster. He even got a shot, right? That's usually how this works. But he Hodge actually got a shot, right? He's with the Steelers. I kind of envisioned him being a CFL player, kind of like mm-hmm. Zach Kalaris, Vernon Adams, a lot of those smaller guys that can sling it. No man. He's doing all right. He provides a little bit of a spark. Uh, I know that you watched him play against the Bengals. His his mm-hmm. long ball does flutter a little bit. You know, he can crank it, but it does flutter. I don't think he's the future. Matter of fact, I'm a little surprised that they are benching Mason Rudolph because I do think he has a higher ceiling uh, than Duck. But, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see what he could do. But he's definitely a downgrade, right? Yeah, I, I would I would think so. Maybe, maybe not very much. Mason Rudolph has, has played really poorly. And so it doesn't surprise me that that Mike Tomlin chose to make the decision to move back to Duck Hodges here. As soon as he got in the game, he threw a 79-yard touchdown pass to James Washington. But take that away, uh, he wasn't all that good against Cincinnati. You know, outside of you know excluding his Washington James Washington touchdown, he was only four for ten for 39 yards. So yeah, you you know he wasn't very good outside of that in that down that touchdown pass and that touchdown pass. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it. William Jackson for Cincinnati took horrible, horrible angle on it. He, I think he thought he was going to get a pick, and he actually ran by James Washington and and kind of you know, tripped up B.W. Webb, and he was able to to kind of get in the end zone that way. So it's kind of kind of fluky uh, yes, to yeah. me, but yeah, it's certain he's certainly a downgrade. I don't know how much. Uh, that's one of those handicapping things that you know it, it's kind of an art more than a science. So it's kind of hard to tell, and that's why I don't have a a really good feel as far as what this spread should be. Uh, you know, we, we're dealing with a lot of injuries in this game and suspensions. Mike Pouncey's going to be out again. 
Juju uh, is still questionable, and he almost kind of seems on the doubtful side of questionable. Like Tomlin mentioned, that he's still still dealing with a knee injury and not so much more, not so much the concussion that he suffered last week. And it's still unclear if uh, James Conner is going to return. And uh, you know, if that's the case, they just don't have the weapons to score a lot of points. They only scored 16 points against against Cincinnati, and again, one of those was kind of a fluky 80-yard touchdown pass. So if you take that away, they only scored nine points uh, against yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah. And Cincinnati's not a very good defense, so that's not no. it's, you know, that's nothing to write home about. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, the offensive part, we spoke a lot. Last time the Browns played the Steelers, we spoke a lot about their defense. They got a great defense. We talked about Cam Hayward. We talked about uh, Devin Bush. We talked about a lot of those guys. Joe Hayden, you know, playing at, at, at an okay level. Uh, let's talk about the offense a little bit. I think you, you you brought up a couple interesting points. First of all, Mason Rudolph, when he got benched, his statistics weren't that bad. I think he was 8 for – I know he was 8 for 16 for 85 yards. I think what really, really, really put the nail in the coffin for him being benched was the interception in the red zone. Okay, yeah, I think that, yeah. that I think that Tomlin thought that that was going to set them apart. He threw that ill-timed interception. You know, those red zone. It's one thing to throw interceptions. It's another thing to throw red zone interceptions, right? That's yeah. a big no-no. So I think that's kind of what did him in. Um, you know, it, it's it's looking like for everything that I've read says that Juju Smith-Schuster is going to miss this game. So yeah, that's you know, kind of my feeling too. Yeah, and Deontay Johnson isn't exactly lighting it up either. He's a little bit of a one-trick pony. We talked about him at the beginning of the year with Toledo. Kind of a speedster that does one thing. I think he had three catches on six targets for Mm -hmm. only 30 yards. So it's not like he's a dynamic weapon, at least not yet, right? And then we talked about the Steelers typically like to incorporate their tight end, correct? Yeah, and but Vance has been nowhere to be be found. One target. Vance McDonald, yeah. He had one target last week. I don't think he's panned out to be the the tight end that they they hoped for at the beginning of the season, and, and I mean, and you're 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 hitting the nail on the head here. This this Pittsburgh offense is really bad. They're they're football outsiders DVOA, 29th ranked offense, 26th pass offense, and 28th rush offense, and they're missing a litany of their best. They're missing their two best skill position. They just they just they got their third string quarterback in, and they don't have their starting center. Uh, so you know. They're, they're not going to be able to do much on offense. I think this is a good opportunity for Cleveland to kind of tighten the clamps up and shut them shut them down. Um, one thing to note with Mike Pouncey, you know, kind of, uh, you know, heading that that offensive lineup, they were the third rank offensive line in, in, in terms of pass protection, only allowing uh, an adjusted sack rate of 5%. But without him last week, they allowed three sacks on 34 dropbacks, which is, which is a 9% adjusted sack rate. So, they're, they're, you know, that just kind of shows you how important he is to that line, especially communicating. And uh, with the third-string quarterback, if we, if you can get pressure on him, he's going to be prone to making mistakes, which I think is where where Cleveland can can really kind of make separate itself this week. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything you, you you're saying. Uh, I will say, first of all, I, I do want to mention that we don't call any offense terrible. Okay, this is we're talking about the same team that let the Titans run all over us, okay, and then they got smashed by the Rams. So we've seen, quote-unquote, terrible offenses smash yeah. us before. So that is a dangerous word. But I would be very surprised if they oh, yeah. put up For 24 sure. points. Yeah. For sure. But back to the penalty thing, I, I find it interesting that, you know, you're naming off those statistics. I, I think that there's probably another level to that. I think there's probably another layer to that. Um, I'd be lying if I said that I, I paid attention 100% to the Bengals uh, the Bengals Steelers game from last week. I, I uh, but I'm sure I, I will go back and watch before this upcoming game uh, more in depth. I, I'm I'm sure that there's another layer to that. BJ Finney, from what I did see, didn't look like a liability. He's obviously not Pouncey. Pouncey's 
much quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a real anchor. You know, a lot of times he'll body bag his guy and then move on to a second guy, really moved up to the second level. Um, you know, Pouncey's great. Pouncey's an elite center. That's just that's all there is to it. But B.J. Finney definitely didn't look like a liability. So I don't know if we're really going to – I don't know if that's really going to be something that we can take advantage of. But perhaps, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, or, I You know, with Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson in the interior, that yeah. – you know, the decrease could go from an elite center to a really good center, and it might be extremely noticeable. So I guess we will see about that. We talked about the Steelers' defense the last time they played. Not much has changed. It's still a very good defense. Cam Hayward is pretty much the leader. He pretty much does what he wants. Um, the Browns' offensive line doesn't look like it's improved. Chris Hubbard is bad. Chris Hubbard is not going to be back, which is funny because when they signed him from Pittsburgh, I said, that's a bad signing. Don't sign him. He was a backup in Pittsburgh, and they weren't even he. You know, he was a backup, not even for, for a team that was very good. It wasn't like he was a backup for the Philadelphia Eagles, where they draft a first round offensive tackle every draft. That's not what the scenario was. But uh, you know, he did play very. He, he has had moments where he's he's been basically on fire, right, or streaks. Not this year. All that's All right. gone. He's been nothing but a complete liability this year. So, and I, it seems like he's gotten worse every week. I mean, he was even terrible against the Dolphins, and they have Charles Harrison, Taco Charlton. So we'll <laughs> see what the Steelers can do against them because uh, – I mean, we kind of already know, right? Because it's, it's the same team from two weeks ago. I would say we saw this. We saw this game two weeks ago, and nothing's going to change, or very little is going to change outside of of the suspensions and the injuries from what we saw two weeks ago. Scheme's not going to change. They're still going to try to do the same things. They know each other very well. They know what they're going to. Each other's going to try to do. So it's really, I think, it, you know, as long as as long as Freddie Kitchen doesn't get uh, outclassed by Mike Tomlin, which I'd be surprised if he did. Uh, by by at a level great enough to where the talent disparity here isn't isn't a, a big deal a big factor in this game I think that I think it's very interesting you brought up the coaching I think that that's what this game comes down to it's all about coaching if Freddie Kitchens can get a good game plan going he they the Brown Cleveland Browns have more talent than the Pittsburgh Steelers this comes down to preparation we talk a lot about those Thursday night football games Thursday night football there's not enough time to prepare right so we see a lot of times talent overtakes preparation here You've, this this means you've now had two weeks to prepare for the Steelers because you had one week the first time you played them. You went back, you played them, you know what they're about, you felt it, you experienced it. Now you have another week where you're preparing for them. Now it's you're you're gonna be you're gonna be able to go back, devise a plan, and really come back forward with what you're gonna do. So we'll we'll see how good of a coach Freddie Kitchens is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, to me, uh, how I see this game and what I think Cleveland should do, I, to me, this is going to be a low scoring game. Uh, Pittsburgh doesn't have the skill positions on offense to really put up any kind of meaningful score on the scoreboard, and they have a really good defense that that will limit Cleveland's offense to a certain extent. Cleveland, I think, has to establish the run with Chubb and Hunt. They weren't really able to do that all that well in the first matchup. I think Chubb only averaged like 3.4 yards per carry. But if they can establish run on offense, that'll, that'll really kind of set the tone for the game. And they got to take care of the football. Baker can't be throwing picks. They can't be fumbling and giving Pittsburgh short fields in this one. So they, they've really got to force Pittsburgh into, into getting first downs, converting third downs, and, and really kind of putting in these long drives in order to, to get points, whether it's three or seven at the end. And, you know, kind of all tied into that, they've got to win the field possession battle. So you have, Cleveland's going to have to be able to force Pittsburgh to go three and out, uh, create short fields for your offense, again, because Pittsburgh's defense is very good, and I don't think Cleveland's going to be able to sustain a lot of drives and go 90 yards consistently. So if they can get, if they can win the field position battle, create short fields for themselves, 
make Pittsburgh drive uh, the length of the field, I think I think they're going to have no issue winning this game. Yeah, and I would also like to add one more thing to that. If the Brown here's here's the most important point, Adam. Okay, if the Browns score more points, <laughs> they will win. I yeah, that's a, that's a astute <laughs> no, but observation. I, I, <laughs> but if they do what they did last, if they do what they did last time, they'll win. They you know they go out there, you execute, you score more points to their team, you win. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's gonna you know on the road now is is a different different animal. Uh, I'm sure the crowds will be hostile. I, I'm interested to kind of see how the players react. Um, with, you know, because obviously two weeks ago we had Helmet Gate and how that affects people uh, and motivations and and all that things along those lines. So it'll be real interesting to kind of see how this game plays out. Yeah, and I really hope that Cleveland fans kind of contain themselves. You know what I mean? Like I, I feel like there's a, an opportunity for something really bad to happen. I hope Pittsburgh fans contain themselves too. I hope I hope nothing stupid happens. But yep. That would no, definitely be a, a northern thing to do or to happen. Yeah. Moving on to some more s- stupid northern football. Uh, <laughs> hey, you before, before, hey oh. before we move on, do you know why they call uh, Devlin Hodges duck? He won some stupid du- – you know what? It's funny. So I, I, I did not – when I, I – seriously, I, I, when I watched him at Sanford, okay, I thought I was so smart because I knew I – I felt like I knew him before a lot of other people. I didn't know the stupid fact about him. I didn't even know his nickname was Duck, but didn't he win some <laughs> stupid contest in eighth won, grade? Yeah, he won the 2009 Junior World Duck Calling Championship. Jeez. He <laughs> so he was 13. Team? Okay, 13. He wins the 2009 Junior World Duck Calling Championship. Okay, that's something weird that he did when he was 13. But no, no, no. He also won the 2018 Alabama Duck Calling Championship. We're talking about last year. My God. I know. He's a, he's a dual threat. He <laughs> in a Duck Calling Championship. Well, you know, was I mean, was whether it was like a Billy Madison situation or whether I mean, I'm assuming it was like an age group, right? Like he wasn't yeah, the I, only grown man <laughs> professional. Fo- yeah. right. I don't know. Are there that? I mean, I guess there might be that many uh, adult duck calling professionals. Who I mean, knows? I'm sure if you just you know you drive your truck down to a trailer park and get some you can get some people to sign up for that contest. Right? Yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> well, hey. I got a trivia question for you for for Duck Hodges though. You mentioned you watched him a lot at Sanford. Obviously, he was a great player at Sanford. Uh, Walter Payton Award winner, three time Southern Conference Player of the Year. Uh, he also set the NCAA FCS pass yard record with uh, over fourteen thousand five hundred yards. Whose record did he break? Whose whose FCS record did he break? Yep, pass yards. Was it McNair? It was McNair. It was. Yep, sure was. I got gotcha. you. I got you, baby. I know. I know. I can't sneak any FCS Division One, Two, Three, Four, Five college football stats by you. No, you might get me. You might get me, man. Because some of those offenses, dude. Some of those. I mean, they'll take. I mean, like we, like a, a, like team like Weber State. Like I couldn't name one player on that team, but they go they they go nine and three every year, and they throw for seven million yards. You know what I mean? Like there's a bunch of weird little offenses and. Crazy stats, man. Yeah, you you have quite the the vault or depository of of college football knowledge or football knowledge in, in general. It's pretty incredible. Well, I, I do appreciate. It. That's why I bring you on here, Adam, to tell me how to, great to I pump am. you up. Oh yeah, I got you. <laughs> Anyways, we'll, we'll we'll stick to the college up college playbook here. Yeah, team but, up north. Speaking of vaults, do you know who Bill Carroll is? Do you follow him on Twitter? Uh no, I don't. You want to talk about after the show? I will send you his Twitter account. The dude has a compare. You can ask him to compare 
the backup court. I mean, I'm watching the Ohio game. The Ohio Ohio just beat uh, Akron like 16 to nothing. He could tell you. He could give you a comparison for the fourth string running back from Ohio. He knows everybody, and they're fun. now he's getting to the point too where he's interviewed people's fathers. Like it's it's <laughs> it's wild, man. It, his his knowledge. Woo, it's crazy. But anyways, moving on, Ohio State, they play the big rivalry. They play a team up north. Ohio State is actually favored by nine against Michigan. I, can I, what do you think about that? Um, what I think about is um, Michigan is, is – or that team up north, they're the team that worries me most for Ohio State. They, they're playing really well right now. Uh, they've, they've put together three or four really solid games where they've outscored their opponent by like 120 points. Um, so, yeah, it, I think this will be a really big test for Ohio State. One, they're going to have to win, obviously, and get by if we expect to win a national championship. So, you know, these, these are good good tests for Ohio State. we got to go on the road. Uh, it's a noon, noon kickoff, which I think is, is a plus for Ohio State in a hostile environment. If it were like a, a 3.30 or a 7.30 kick, I think you, you have to give a little bit more advantage to the home, home field. But being at noon kickoff is a good thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we have – I think we have – um, great coaching staff. I think we have the more talented football roster, and I and I, I believe in our team uh, to be able to pull this win out in Ann Arbor. So, gun to your head, where are you putting your money? Give it Ohio State's given nine. Where are you putting your money? Um, I'll probably take Ohio. State. I'm definitely taking Ohio State at nine. I think ten's a key number. Uh, so, I, mean, I, I, I think you could easily easily see this turning into like a like a twenty seven. 17 or a 31 21 type game i jumped on the nine points immediately this was the first college football game i bet on this week i jumped on the nine points immediately i was yeah. doing a podcast last night with uh, don james and, and he couldn't believe it but i jumped on the nine points i think that's insane for a rivalry game i think michigan is extremely underrated they lost two games in a really rough fashion mm-hmm. and i think that that's why they're viewed the way the way they are but whatever moving along no i mean i think to your point, though, I mean, I think they they are starting to play really well. I, I don't know if how many people no, are they, they, really recognizing that. Really well. They've always what? played really well. I think that's the misconception. They had a couple. They had a couple games where they struggled against lesser opponents, like Middle Tennessee State, right? Yeah. But because for some reason, they're the, these these struggles are, I don't know. They're they're heightened because it's Michigan or because it's the Big yeah. Ten. I'm not really sure what the reason is. But when Missouri loses to Wyoming, no one really cares. Missouri still ranked in the top 25. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just not a big deal. But when, when Michigan struggles, it's, oh, my gosh, oh, I can't believe Michigan sucks. But other than that, man, I mean, uh, you know, can you, what? other than that and the two losses, have they really struggled? I mean, they've kind of been they, I think, I think you could I think you could argue that they struggled earlier in the year. But I think the the explanation to that is you have a, a new offensive coordinator. And He's terrible. You have a, well, I mean, he. I, but you could argue that they're starting to kind of, you know, find their stride here a little bit. Jay Patterson's thrown nine nine touchdowns, one pick in the last three games. Well, correct me uh, if I'm wrong. Let me let me ask you this: Didn't Gaddis, who's the he, he has the coordinator, correct? That's correct. Okay, didn't he give up play calling duties to Harbaugh right before the Notre Dame game? Or is uh, that not that, right? Was that I, just that a rumor? I, I had not heard that, so I don't know. I, I I don't. Someone had someone double check that and then hit us up on Twitter. But I think that that was the case. I think may, I know that that rumor was out there. I just I don't know if I saw anybody credible. You know, quoting that at a press conference or anything, but I believe that's what happened. Yeah, well, that'd be interesting. Uh, but on the other side of this, I think Ohio. I, if you just look at Ohio State last week versus Penn State, I think the I think the score of that game was really misleading. Ohio State out outgained Penn State by 190 yards. They possessed the ball for 10 more minutes, and 
And the longest drive they allowed Penn State to have was like 40 yards or something like that. They scored. Penn State scored 10 points off of turnovers, and we fumbled the ball at the two-inch line going in for a touchdown. So that's a 17-point swing on those three turnovers alone. You know, the 11-point spread to me is is misleading. Uh, I, I did think that the offense looked rough last week. I will say that the defense looked great. I think that the Penn State's offense even looked, looked better even when Sean Clifford went out because you could tell that Ohio State was prepping for Sean Clifford. But I think Absolutely. the Ohio State offense did look rough. Justin Fields got hit a couple times by the guy we highlighted last week. Uh, in, uh, Yeter, um, Gross Matos. Gross Matos. Yeah, Gross Matos. Yeah. And, uh, I agree. He I, got hit a couple times, and he didn't like it. He got up, and he did not look like he liked it. Right. One of the things that what if you can if you can find one flaw in Justin Fields' games, and this kind of goes back to our discussion with Baker earlier, is that he holds on to the football for too long. He, uh, you know, he need he needs to be able to get the ball out sooner and or get out of the pocket and make something happen with his feet sooner. Yeah, I, I mean, I know he gets I know he gets a lot of props. Will probably be in New York, but I do view him in a very similar light as I do Jalen Hurts. As guys that are just kind of they're in a system, I, you know what I mean? I feel like you could put anybody there, and they're going to be relatively successful. I think that the engine to the Ohio State offense is J.K. Dobbins, and I do think that if they are going to win, that's how they got to do it: is just pound him into the dirt. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I view that game. Yeah, no, and I I don't think that's a bad take, and you could argue that's probably what. Ryan Day thought last week by giving J.K. Dobbins over 30 carries last week and not yeah. not putting his untested quarterback in a situation where he has to put the game, you know, put the team on his shoulders and 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 kind of lead his team to victory. And I think that you know that was one of the notes that I had written down here is how you know how is Fields going to respond uh, in a hostile environment? This is going to be his first game on the road in a hostile environment, so I think it's going to be it's going to be an interesting test to see how to see how he responds. So here, here's an interesting thing, a fun, a fun fact. You, I, I if Everybody knows how close I was at one point to the Ohio State program, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're aware of that? Yes, so I, I had an opportunity, to, an opportunity to discuss, you know, away games with multiple football players. And, you know, I don't want to get into specific names, but, you know, this was a few years ago, right? And I would ask these guys, hey, is Michigan – tell me about Michigan environment. Tell me about Ann Arbor. I personally have never been up there. I have I've, I've never been up there. They were telling me that Penn State is a million times more intimidating than Michigan mm-hmm. because I guess Michigan Stadium is more or less in a valley kind of. So by the time you realize how big it is or how you're absorbing how big it is, you already got yeah. your you're, you're out on the field. It's too late. You're already ready. You're in, already in the game time. They yeah. were they were they were saying that it really wasn't intimidating at all because by the time they figured it out, they were already ready to go. Penn State, they said Penn State, they did list that as like the most intimidating place in the world because they said it was just so big and came out of nowhere. But I yeah. did think it was interesting. A lot of these guys when I was talking about Ohio State Michigan rivalry, man, you wouldn't even think it was a rivalry really. Like they just kind well, of yeah. thought about and it. That- yeah, I think that's um, you know that'll be something to kind of watch with Justin Fields. Obviously, not being from the area. Well, Ryan Day, Ryan Day, it's neither. I think that that's right. an interesting. I personally, that was one of my handicaps when I was speaking to someone else last night about taking Michigan. You know, why why would you jump on Michigan if you believe Ohio State's a better team? Okay, so but all these players, they none of them have seen really Michigan win, right? I mean, right. by since they've had cognitive memory, they've never seen Michigan win. So they have no idea it's even a rivalry. So they get that fed to them that it's a rivalry. Well, who do you think's feeding them more, Ryan Day or Jim Harbaugh? Yeah, no idea. But I, I, I don't want to discount the culture that Urban Meyer built there and their their 365 preparation for Michigan. So 
you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic fan, so I, I'm going to give Ryan Day the, the benefit of the doubt here and say he's going to have his guys ready or he's going to have instilled um, the attitude into his players that's going to be necessary to go in there in a rivalry game and win. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how Justin Fields responds. I think that'll be a big key to the game. I, I, I hope you're right. A, a couple guys I'm watching out for, uh, Shea Patterson, quarterback, six foot two, 205-pound senior. Believe it or not, Adam, I had this guy listed as a potential first-rounder going into the season. I'm a big believer in him. There's like a small community that's still like Shea Patterson, and I'm yeah. one of them. Last week yeah. against Indiana, the dude played lights out, completed 63% of his passes for 366 yards and five touchdowns. I know it's no, he, just Indiana, but Indiana is not the same Indiana team that we grew up with. Okay, this is no. a very strong Indiana team, very well coached Indiana team. Shea Patterson throws a very pretty ball. I can see him testing extremely well and being a, a, a flyer that someone takes a chance on and, and maybe gets an opportunity to play. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I I've never believed in Shea Patterson, and I know I know there's hype around him, and I know people like him, but I just haven't seen it. He doesn't pass my eye test. He's just he just seems like he crumbles in these big spots. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe Saturday is is a springboard for him. Um, you know, getting into the next in the next level in the NFL. But I I, I don't trust him, and I, I don't believe in him at this point. I don't, and and we'll see. He's a very he's a very um com- he he's he's a player that you either love him or you hate him. Yeah. you just completely ignore him. I do think he's going to test really well. I think he's going to be one of those guys that looks great in shorts. I think that that's going to help him. Uh, kind of like Jarrett Stidham last year for Auburn. You know, mm-hmm. he had a very rough year. Well, he still went relatively high. I think the Patriots have him yep. in the second or third round. So, you know, we've seen players kind of crumble, like you said, and then still get drafted high. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll see. Another player I'm looking out for, Levert Hill, the cornerback, 5'11", 181 senior. Uh, his, he, his, now see, his red flag is right out there in your face. This is another guy I kind of gave a star next to because I thought he had first-round ability. You know, mm-hmm. Michigan's always kind of been a little bit of a defensive back factory. Uh, but he has a propensity for flags, man. I think he got three penalties against Indiana last week. I, I don't think a week goes by where he doesn't get a defensive pass interference. I'm sure I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, but this week will be a big game for him. He's a very yep. physical cornerback despite his lack of size. He's going to be going up against KJ Hill, and I, I think that I think that that's going to be a great battle. And I think that he's going to be a guy that also tests very well and could end up being in an early-round conversation. Yeah, no, I think – yeah, I agree with you. I think what's going to be interesting is, that, you know, Michigan is known for playing – uh, man coverage on the back end and just kind of trusting their their, yes. their their secondary to be physical enough to slow down opponents wide receivers. I personally think that they're going to throw the kitchen sink at Ohio State this weekend and and kind of go away from their tendency. I think they'll run more zone. I think they'll run more zone blitzes to try to really confuse Ohio State and Justin Fields. So it'd be interesting to kind of see that dynamic if he's not actually covering one on one and more playing sitting back and playing in zones. Uh, just kind of see how all that plays out. And I, I will say, full disclosure, uh, Channing Stribling, the, uh, another former Wolverine cornerback from a couple years ago, I had him. I gave him a third-round grade. I thought he was a very physical, very impressive cornerback. Uh, I thought he lacked speed. Well, he went to the combine and ran like a – I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say a 4'8", went undrafted and was with the Browns for like two weeks. Okay, so that <laughs> – uh, full disclosure, I do fall yeah. for that that every now and again because of the Michigan's playing style. Um, same defensive coordinator. What uh, Brown, I Don think. Brown. Is, yeah, yeah Brown. same defensive coordinator, so it wouldn't surprise me if this is another trap. Another player that I really like that I think might slip, but I think if he tests well, he could go very early. Tariq Black, six foot three, 215-pound junior. 
I think he's going to declare early. Okay. Yep. He right now he is the fourth leading receiver for Michigan. Okay. Nico Collins, Donovan Peoples Jones. Um, uh, who, who else? Who I else? don't know the fourth. I know those three. Yep, those were the three that I had. Well, Tree Black is the fourth. He's the fourth leading receiver. But to me, he is the fit. He is the most impressive physical wide receiver. This is a guy I would love to fall to the Browns. Okay, I think that the reason his college career has been so upsetting is because he has been hurt. But he catches the ball. You know, when it, he's got a big frame, he had three receptions for thirty yards last last week. I think he is getting healthier. I think he's going to test out of his mind. Okay, if I'm him, I'm leaving. I'm declaring. Ronnie early. Bell is the third wide receiver. Yes, and I think that I still think Tariq Black is the most physically impressive wide receiver on that roster. I think he's the most. I think he has the highest ceiling for the NFL. I think that he's a guy. He's going to test extremely well. He's going to get drafted earlier than his stats would indicate, and I think he's got to, he's got a lot of the makings to make an impact. He was very good as a freshman. Very good as a freshman. Then everything kind of fell apart. He shows flashes here and there, and he yeah, showed flashes he- last week. Didn't he? Didn't he deal with some injuries? Didn't he break his foot like two years in a row? I don't remember the specific injury, but Amazon has an original series where it's it's called it's all or nothing. All or nothing. Follow, yeah. yeah, and it was Tariq Black's freshman year, him and Dominic Peoples Jones, and that you know you. I'm not saying that that's why I like Tariq Black, but you can they talk about his injury history and he gets dinked and they kind of go in depth a little bit, and that was kind of the start of it, and it's been like that ever since. So yeah. if I'm him, I'm leaving. There's been some rumors that he's going to enter the transfer portal and come back. I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. I would just test, show people how big of a man you are, and just go. And then I, I think he, I think he might be a guy that I'm expecting Michigan to spread the ball out and try to be explosive. And I'm expecting him to get a couple touches here and there. Yeah. No. You you mentioned uh, Donovan Peoples Jones three years ago being a freshman with Tariq Black, and I just don't agree with you. Donovan Peoples Jones has been been at Michigan for like seven years now. It feels like that. He's one of those guys. And it was, you know, who the other one was for me was Roscoe Parrish at Miami. He was at Miami for like nine years. Oh yeah, oh it, yeah. It's it's so weird how that happens every now and then. Yeah, you get you do get guys like that. Clayton Thorson was kind of like that at Northwestern. It felt yeah. like he was always there. It felt like God, what is Clayton Thorson gonna leave? You're right. Yeah, I agree with you. No, I I think uh, the the biggest key uh, or one of the biggest matchups for me this week is going to be Nico Collins uh, and Jeffrey Okuda. I don't. I I would assume Okuda is going to cover him. And but and Okuda is a top ten pick next year in the draft, so I think he's got a talent advantage over Nico Collins. I I think Nico Collins is probably a day two um, draft pick, but Nico Collins has got like four or five inches on uh, Okuda. Nico Collins is very good at high pointing the football, so we'll be it'll be interesting to see um, if Patterson goes at, at Okuda this week and how well they're gonna he's gonna be able to cover the 50-50 balls. Yeah, Alabama, the, the Michigan receiving core. We're getting a little bit of we're getting into a little bit of the weeds here, but admit the Michigan receiving core is absolutely fantastic. The Alabama receiving core gets a lot of credit with uh, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, um, Devontae Smith, but all those guys are track stars, right? Mm-hmm. Michigan's yep. on the other end of the spectrum. They're just as talented, but they're all big and they're all uh-huh. physical, right? Yeah. Donald Peoples Jones, Nico Collins, uh, Tariq Black. Those guys are all six two or taller. Yep. You know what I mean? Ronnie Bell, I think, is the shortest one. He's still over six foot. Yep, absolutely. Anyways, moving on. Uh, before we go to our best bets, you want, let's recap what we did last week. I went a whopping 0-3. I took Atlanta, who got destroyed by Tampa Bay 35-22. I thought Dan Quinn was on his way up. I was wrong. He is on his way back down. I took Carolina. <laughs> I took New Orleans, given nine to Carolina. They lost again outright. These. It's funny because not only did I lose the bets, but they lost outright. Carolina yeah. – 
one thirty-one. Or uh, no, I, that's right. New Orleans did win, but it was only they thirty-four. Won, yeah. I apologize. That I apologize. last second field goal is by Will Lutz. Yep. Yes, yes. Which is funny too because I thought that I was going to win that game because New Orleans did start out hot. I believe that they were up fourteen nothing there for a short period, and then yep. Carolina got a, a rinky dinky field goal here, and they kind of worked themselves back in it. I also took Detroit. Detroit lost outright sixteen nineteen to Washington Redskins, which is going to play a little bit uh, part into why I'm picking the games I'm picking this week. But how did you do? Uh, I'm right there with you going 0-3. And, and uh, We talked about this a little bit, and, yeah, it was just not a good week. I, I picked Green Bay last week. I thought I thought San Francisco was still pretty banged up. I liked Green Bay off a of bye, but I forgot how bad teams are this year off of byes. It's really incredible how, how awful teams been have, have been off a of bye. I want to San Francisco, they all their guys played. I thought George Kittle was going to be out. I thought Debo Samuel was going to be out. Uh, but they all played, and they were they were um, a big part in, in that win against Green let Bay. Me get the, let me get this straight just for the listener's sake. I bring you on the show. I introduce you as a gambling expert. And that's that's true. You were hitting 60%. I know that you've made a ton of money. You, you posted on Twitter. That's all true, right? I know it's true. I know it's true. <laughs> but you come on here and you embarrass me like that on three. Yeah. Well, you, you, know, just, you, know how you can't you can't pump me up like that, man. Wow, dude! I, I crumble wow. under, underneath the pressure. Now, and we also had someone else on the pod last week. I can't remember who it was, but they said that that was a bad bet, and they said yeah. all those guys were going to play. Who was that? Oh, I don't know. That might have been you. Was that me? Was that oh, that's wow! So. That's crazy. Yeah. That was me. That was. Me. <laughs> yeah, that was you. So hey, you you got me there, and I, I'm on. You know, I'm I'm sad to say that you also got me on my second best bet. I I, had, I liked Oakland on the road against the Jets, and they got their doors blown off. And you were all over the Jets on that game too. I, I was, and I I didn't have a good reason for it. Well, <laughs> that was, know, that I, was the I, game where my handicap was like, oh, Sam Darnold looks good. <laughs> well, no, I think I think when I look back and kind of try to handicap my handicap, I think I agree with you. I think Oakland is overvalued, overrated, and I think the Jets with Sam Darnold aren't that bad. I we. There was a lot of people talking about the Jets this year, maybe one in seven, eight, nine games. And and then he got he had mono at the beginning of the year, which which kind of sapped like four or five games from him. Even if he did play, he wasn't 100 percent. And now you're kind of seeing him um, in his maturation process. He's, he's still really young. And, and I know everybody hates Colin Cowherd, but Cowherd's been on Darnold since the beginning. And I think we're kind of kind of starting to see him emerge as a really good quarterback. You know, it's funny. Too. Here, here's the problem with like when you. When you break down, there a lot of professional handicappers that that I talk to or, or deal with, or you know, they claim they're professionals. They always talk about, they break it down statistically, like you said, average yards per play, or you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, time of possession, th- this and that. They pick out these key stats that they kind of run with, right? And they they span over the season. Well, with the Jets, Sam Darnold was out for like six weeks, man, yep. and the backup Luke Falk. You're talking about you're talking about a huge, huge. And I don't think Luke Falk is. is the worst quarterback in the NFL, but he's not good, right? Yeah. No, so you're, you're right. So statistics for when Sam Darnold was playing, and it's just I don't, I don't, I, I feel like it's like when when Matt Stafford, Stafford goes out and Jeff Driscoll goes in, everybody immediately cross off crosses off the lines, kind of like okay, we're not going to count these stats because we know there's a huge drop off. But when Sam Darnold got hurt, it was kind of like was uh, is Sam Darnold good? I don't right. know. And then you kind of kept those stats in there, and I feel like yep. that that's kind of where everybody went wrong. No, I agree with you. I, I think you make a great point there. If you're not filter out, filtering out those stats, you're really kind of setting yourself up uh, for failure. If you, in, unless you're really good at handicapping uh, what what it means to go from Donald to Luke Falk, you really you really are kind of uh, dealing with misleading data, and that's but probably what, that's probably what the trap that I fell into last but week. But the with the NFL, you can't you can't take out the stats for every single little injury, and I think that that's what ha- no one valued Sam Darnold. 
that's kind of what it came down to, right? It, when 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 Ben Roethlisberger went down, when Matthew Stafford went down, uh, when Andrew Luck went down, everybody craw- everybody adjusted appropriately. No one respected Sam Darnold. I think that's kind of where you saw that. So it's not necessarily anybody's fault. That's mm-hmm. just it's just kind of that's kind of just where it landed. That's yeah, where he landed talk- on the spectrum. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. In order to really kind of take take yourself to the next level when you're gambling or betting is you really got to mix the art and the science. So, you know, what you all, what you talked about with, uh, with the Darnold and, and that's the art, whereas the science is the data and you really got to blend the two together or you can make some big mistakes. I don't blend anything together, Adam. Hey, I use, I use my eyes, baby. I use my <laughs> eyes. Whatever, yeah. whatever gets my pants tighter is what I'm gambling on, baby. <laughs> and that's how I move forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Wait, I, what was your third game? We never went over your third it, game. Third game was Houston on Thursday night. I thought, I thought with Ty out and with Joby, with Jacoby Brissett not hundred percent, I thought Houston had a talent advantage there. We talked about. Yeah, we know, both lost that game. Yeah, they well. So the spread was three and a half. Houston won by three, so I barely lost that. But Houston was driving there at the end. They kind of ran out of time, so they they could have definitely. Um, yeah, I think they ended up sitting on the ball and taking the knee to run out the game in, in Indianapolis territory. So, you know, if things were different, obviously they had a chance there to cover. But I, I like that side still. But, I, I love how you squeaked in barely lost. Like that, like that, yeah. ma- like, oh, oh, oh we're, we're not going to count that because he said barely. We're okay, but we're talking about I had Green Bay and Oakland who lost by like a combined 70 points against the yes. spread this week. So. Yes, that's true. That's true. We, hey, well, I, yeah, I, I, know, I know what you mean. I'm giving you a hard time, but I know what you mean. Like, you know, <laughs> like with the Falcons, the Falcons were favorites and then they lose outright by 32 points or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just insane. Yep. yep. NFL's weird, man. Yes, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's been it's been a, a rough couple weeks for me. Hopefully, we can get back on track. I started hot early. I think I got a couple good games here, man. Um, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, no, you go first. I agree with you. I I, um, I made a couple of tweaks to my model, did some things different, and I really like my best this week. So I'll, I'll start out. This is my best bet. I'm, I got two for record. I got two Thanksgiving games. Okay, first Thanksgiving game, Chicago. Currently, they are five and six, three and eight against the spread. They are three point favorites, three point away favorites to the Detroit Lions, who are three seven and one, four and seven against the spread. Now, I bet on Detroit last week. So am I biased? Am I betting on Chicago because I now hate Detroit for screwing me? That's part uh, of it, Adam. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest with you. That's all. Uh, <laughs> I, I I see what you're saying. I I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, my power ratings have Chicago as a three point better team, but you're going on the road. Obviously, that kind of you know neutralizes that. It, to me, it almost seemed like a pick 'em. But when we we talked about this a little bit before the pod, when you account for uh, the injury to Matt Stafford and now Jeff Driscoll, um, I think you're really going to start to see some value on Chicago there. Yes, because for reference, the backup quarterback behind Jeff Driscoll is David Blau, and David Blau, believe it or not, is a downgrade from Jeff Driscoll. So if you can, and I believe that this number is still up. I actually put money on this game already, so I'm giving only three points. I would put your money on if you want this game, put it in now because once David Blau is announced or once Jeff Driscoll's legitimately out ruled out, the spread is going to change. Chicago, another note here: Chicago is five one one against the spread against Detroit, which I was unaware of until today. So I thought that was another cool little fun fact. So just so everyone knows, Jeff Driscoll is questionable with a hamstring injury, and I don't know if anybody out there has dealt with a hamstring injury. I, I think he's going to have a hard time uh, coming into a short week with a with a questionable hammy, and it, I think that really neutralizes the thing that Driscoll does best and being able to escape the pocket 
and, and make things happen with his legs. So even if he does play, I think it, I think the injury neutralizes what he does well. So I still think you could downgrade him here in this spot. Absolutely. And, and again, David Blau, to give you a little background on David Blau, David Blau is an undrafted free agent out of Purdue. This is another guy that I was actually pretty high on. Uh, he, he got benched multiple times at Purdue because he doesn't have a huge arm. Okay, so you're going from Matt Stafford, who's got a giant arm, to Jeff Dr- Jeff Driscoll, who can at least move around, to David Blau. So David Blau, like I said, we're talking – I mean, these are like polar opposites, dude. So yeah. he does not have an well, arm at all. He was with the Browns for the, for the training camp for a portion. You know, he's a smart guy. I don't see him making a whole lot of mistakes. But, I mean, you know, when you're playing the Bears and Khalil Mack, you, you got to do more than just not screw up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and- – you know, the, the Lions offense is really built around Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay and their skill sets. And their skill sets are to stretch the field vertically. And if Blau doesn't have the arm to push the ball downfield, there's, I, they're going to have to rely on Bo Scarborough, Scarborough um, to move the football. And I just don't I just don't see that happening. So I really I, I the more I talk about it, the more I like Chicago with you. All right. What's your best bet? Uh, I'm going back to the well here um, and going with San Francisco, I bet it against them last week, uh, but I really was really impressed um, how they played. They played with uh, you know Kittle was back, Debo Samuel was back. They both played very well. Kittle scored scored a touchdown, uh, but I, really my handicap here, I, I I have these these teams ranked fairly highly in my power ratings. I actually, have Baltimore ranked the number one team, and I have San Francisco ranked the number third team. I only have them like. Half what's a point the, difference. What's the spread? What did you get it the at? The spread is Baltimore minus six. So I'm getting San Francisco plus six points here. And my handicap is this. I think Baltimore is becoming a public team with Lamar Jackson and all the hype surrounding that offense. And uh, San Francisco has a really, really has the matchup advantage on the ground in this in this matchup. So Baltimore has the th- 24th ranked rush defense. Meanwhile, San Francisco runs the ball at 51% of the time, which is the second most in the NFL. So I think San Francisco has an opportunity here to go on the road and really control the clock, something that not many teams have been able to do against Baltimore. But the way San Francisco likes to move the ball on offense really matches up well with how Baltimore defends. And so I think there's an opportunity for this game to be close. Um, My power ranking would make the line Baltimore minus four and a half. So I have a point and a half of line value here. And again, I, I think San Francisco getting healthy and they're playing well. And I think the key to really stopping uh, Baltimore and Lamar Jackson is are you going to be able to rush and contain with four guys? With Joey Bosa, um, I really do think that defensive line is built to um, to kind of contain Lamar Jackson here. So I like I like San Francisco. You know, I, and I, I haven't put money on that game, but I do like everything you're saying. Uh, when you're talking about the Baltimore Ravens, I think it's I think it's not necessarily you're betting on the Niners, but you're more or less fading the public and the money that's going to be on the Ravens. When you're betting on the Ravens now, the Ravens are a popular enough pick that you're paying a premium. Okay, now their records are similar, so usually when you see two good teams like that, there's not really a you're you're paying you're not really paying a premium because you got two good teams, right? So for right. instance, the Cowboys and the Patriots, both those are pretty public teams. Both those are teams that you pay a premium on. There wasn't necessarily anything going, so it's kind of surprising that you would see that with the Ravens against the Niners because the Niners are I think they've only lost two games, correct? That is correct. Yes. So you you would think that there would be no premium, but I think it's because they. The Baltimore Ravens do have that MVP favorite and Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson, and there's not really any glory. There's not really that name recognition with Jimmy G or George Kittle. Those kind of for some reason it's just not there. There's no MVP talk, so yeah. the the premium is definitely on the Baltimore Ravens side. I agree with you that I think that's a big spread. I would think if you waited on that, that spread might even grow larger because the, because the public money is going to flow in on Baltimore. But that would be something. I mean, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I don't really have a great feel on, on where the money's going to come in, but it wouldn't surprise me uh, if it did come in on Baltimore here. Uh, six is a lot of points to give San Francisco. I, think, I just think they're a really good team. I think I think this is a potential Super Bowl preview. I think these two teams could easily uh, win win their conferences and, and find find themselves playing against each other here in the Super Bowl. Uh, that, that would not be where my money's at, but I mean, you know, it's hard to argue against that. That's for sure. Uh, the second game I got another Thanksgiving game. I got Dallas. Dallas has given seven points to Buffalo. Buffalo's eight and three, um, seven three and one against the spread. Dallas is six and five, seven and four against the spread. So you got uh, yeah, Dallas coming off of a big loss. And it's actually you know what's crazy? Dallas is four and one against the spread the last five games. Everybody's ripping on them. Jerry Jones won this rant about firing Jason Garrett. They played a really good game against the Patriots. The game was wet and sloppy. Dak Prescott was slipping the ball. I think he changed his gloves halfway through. And they only lost 13 to 9. Dude, I think that's a great pick. I think that the Cowboys are gonna be resurrected. I think I think that they're a good team. I think that they played well last week. I, I think they're a good team too. And let me just for perspective, I have them ranked seventh in my power ratings. So I real I'm I'm buying Dallas stock right now. I my if you look at my just my power ratings alone, uh, I would agree with you on this. I have my line would make this approximately eight. So I think you do have some line value there. Um, I do like Dallas coming off the tough loss on the road, getting back home Thanksgiving Day. It's a it's a spot they're familiar with. Buffalo, however, is not used to playing these Thanksgiving Day games going on the road. Uh, yeah, so I think it's a good spot for Dallas here to get right. Yeah, and we and the, you bring up an interesting point about routine. I I'm not, I don't know every, the ins and outs of every player's routine, uh, but for Kirk Cousins, for instance, everybody knows he's notorious for having his one o'clock routine. He keeps a journal of every little thing he does. So you know, <laughs> if if Buffalo has one of those guys as one of their main, you know, if John Brown or uh, Josh Allen or you know you know if, if Frank Gore if any of those guys has a weird niche like that it could mm-hmm. really throw them off so I'm in on Dallas on that one what's your second bet second best bet here is Denver getting two and a half points at home uh, to me this I'm what I'm really I'm betting against a trend right now and I don't have the exact numbers but teams have been very bad off a of bye this season so you got the Chargers coming off a of bye and you got Denver coming off a uh, off a game at Buffalo last week where they really they couldn't get anything going on offense. We, we finally saw Brandon Allen have the game we thought he should be having in that offense. He didn't get anything going through the air. But if you really look at that matchup, that's not surprising. We've talked about it a couple weeks ago in the Cleveland-Buffalo preview where you know, Buffalo's secondary is, is elite. They have a, a top-five uh, pass defense, and you know they were able to contain Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman on the ground which only led to what three points for Denver this week. Uh, but they're coming in, they're coming back home to a much better spot. They're facing the chargers who have the 22nd ranked defense and their pass ranked defense is in the or either 22nd ranked pass defense and the rush defense is in the twenties as well. So I think this is a get right spot for Denver on offense. And again, um, I'm betting against teams coming off a of buy here, especially going to Denver, which has one of the best home field advantages uh, in the NFL and defense has a or Denver has a really, really good defense. And I think they'll be able to, to limit the chargers upside here on offense, keep this game close. So I'm, I'm taking a two and a half points. My power rating, my model would make this Denver minus one. So I got three and a half points of line value here. 
I gotta be honest, with you, I, I I haven't put money on this game, but I do disagree with that point. I think that the Chargers are the more talented team. I think Philip Rivers is gonna. I think that that bye week trend. That's something that I don't. I think that that's more random than anything. I think that the bye week does help an an older veteran quarterback like Philip Rivers, especially coming off of such a rough, terrible game that he had. Melvin mm-hmm. Gordon is getting more integrated into the offense. I think this bye week is gonna help with that as well. Um, Austin Eckler is also a guy. I think you know he's they're they're gonna get healthier. They're they're gonna get right. Keen Allen was a little bit bumped and bruised. Mike Williams a little bit bumped and bruised. I would take the charge in this. I haven't put any money on it, but that's probably where I would lean. Yeah, Plus, no, the Broncos, I, there's rumors the Broncos are going to move towards Drew Locke. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. I, I think Brandon Allen can get right in this spot here against this defense. He, he had, again, he had a really tough matchup last week. Uh, and, and the the off the bye thing, I, I guess I would, I could, I can see where you're coming from being random or more variance, but I think there's an argument to be made that t- teams with bad coaches off a of bye. Uh, I think there's some legitimacy to that trend, and I don't think Anthony Lynn's anything to write home about. And, in fact, I'm going to be bucking this trend in my next best bet. So I say all that about teams off a of bye to to bet on a team off a of bye in my next best bet. <laughs> all right. Well, my third best bet is actually a Sunday game. Uh, Green Bay, they're 8-3, and 7-4 against the spread. They are 6.5-point favorites, away favorites against the New York Giants, who are 2-9, and 4-7 against the spread. I'm going with the Giants, my friend. New York is 6-3 against the spread, last nine games against Green Bay at home. I, I know that that's not really a huge trend, considering that we're dealing with two brand-new coaches, but that is something of note. Um, you know, the Packers, look. Re- this is more of a fade against the Packers. I don't think that the Giants are as bad as everybody says. I I think Daniel Jones is is kind of cooled off, but statistically speaking, he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. He's been he's been solid, has not been a liability, and the Packers look terrible. They, their defense they don't they've been gashed against the run. I don't think Saquon Barkley's all the way healthy, but I do think that the Giants can exploit that a little bit, move the ball a little bit, and I, I think that I, I'm betting against the Packers. Six and a half points is a lot of points. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I I think. I don't know what to make of this Packers team. They looked really good for a while, uh, but then they just got smoked last week. I, I don't know how good of a coach Lafleur is. Um, I do you know how Saquon Barkley is? You know, I, obviously he hasn't been playing very well. But uh, there's a rumor that they're gonna. There's a rumor they're gonna shelf him. By the way, there's a rumor okay. they're gonna shelf Saquon Barkley. I don't know how accurate that is. I heard it from someone semi credible, but I, I heard that they are going. They are considering shelving him because the season's at a loss. Okay. What. Um, What's the spread on that again? Six and a half. Six and a half. Okay. I, I don't disagree with that. My line makes this like seven and a quarter, 7.25. So, yeah, I can, I can, you, you, I can get on with that. Well, you don't sound super confident, but I'll go ahead and take that. <laughs> yeah. And what's your third game? Uh, my third game is Kansas, Kansas City versus Oakland. Oakland on the road at Kansas City. Spread's nine and a half. Kansas City favored. My line would make this 13. So I guess here's my handicap. Kansas City off a of bye. Um, I'm going to buy good coaches off. We know that have an extra week to prepare. So I think Andy Reid's a really good coach. He's got two weeks to prepare for an in, in-conference rival, in-division rival uh, in Oakland. Oakland just had to travel on the road east from west to east, got their doors blown off, and they got to go back into a hostile environment in Arrowhead. Uh, so I think the spot's really good for Kansas City here. As I mentioned earlier, I think Oakland's overrated. They've faced a really easy schedule, which I think is um, deceiving a little bit, for when, especially when you look at their record. And I also I also think it really affects the stats that we look at. So one of the things I did in my model is I went back and I adjusted all these stats for based on the teams that they pay, played in the past to try to kind of normalize and give each team a baseline. 
and it really affected the what Oakland did in my power rating. So I, I really think Oakland's overrated. I don't think they're as good as people um, maybe had thought. And I think Casey's getting healthy. Um, and had the week off to get to get right. And I think that I think this is a big spot for them here. You know, I completely agree with that. I haven't put money on that game myself, uh, but I do like KC, gun to my head. Uh, I th- I do think Oakland's overrated, like you said. I do think Andy Reid is probably the superior coach, probably the superior game planner. They have more talent, They just they ha- and they also have more yep. talent. So even if you have two good coaches, talent's going to prevail. Um, I like I, I think you nailed it. The Raiders are kind of in a tough spot, man. They, they do not look smooth. They do not look good. I think they've kind of, they, they kind of gone back into their shell and admitted to themselves that they're not ready for the big stage. Uh, you know, Derek Carr is kind of another fragile guy. Uh, obviously, everybody remembers the, the video of him crying, going viral. Uh, so I think I think you're right. With two weeks with two weeks to prepare, I'm I would put my money on KC. Yeah, they're Oakland. Oakland's six and five, and I actually have them ranked twenty fourth in my model. So certainly not not ranked amongst teams that have a similar record. So that, I think that kind of speaks to the schedule that they played. And I don't, I don't want to discount what Gruden's done there. I think, he, I think he's doing a better job than most people thought he would. Yes, or yes, what absolutely. people gave him credit for last year. I think he's still, I think he's still an elite offensive mind. But I agree with you, where you know he just doesn't have the talent that he thought he was going to have. Tyrell Williams, Darren Waller, you know they're good players. Josh Jacobs, young, um, but I think they have some good young pieces on there. But they need more to build around. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of those guys, if you, you want to dive deeper into the, the Raiders thing, and I'll hurry this up, uh, a lot of those guys are niche guys. They do their thing really well. Darren Waller's not a good blocker, right? He was a former wide receiver at Georgia Tech, had some issues in Baltimore, gained some weight, and that's how he became a tight end. He's not he's not a full tight end prospect. That's just not how it works. Terrell Williams, he does one thing really well. He runs really fast. fast. Yep. You know, yeah, he's kind of had a, he's had a couple drops here and there. He's your number one wide receiver, and that's all he really does is run fast. You know, Josh Jacobs is great. I do think Josh Jacobs is the answer. I I think he's the dude. Derek Carr, Derek Carr is very good. I like Derek Carr, too. I think he can be the dude, but he's got a little Jared Goff to him. If he doesn't have protection, he ain't ain't creating stuff. You know, he's not like Mahomes. He's not creating anything. But with that said, you know, I don't want to spend all day bashing Derek Carr. But my point is is that they do have a lot of niche pieces with – which can thrive in certain situations, but, you know, that's just not going to happen against KC. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, well, I, I do want to end it on one note. The Browns did cut a fan favorite. I didn't realize team people were that passionate about this, but literally my phone is blowing up as we're recording this. Uh, the Browns cut defensive lineman Deverell Lawrence. Deverell Lawrence was a bit of a training camp stud. Um, he's got a little Geno Atkins to his game, was undrafted out of LSU. I don't really know why people are so passionate about him. I think that they are cutting to make room for Dave, uh, David Njoku um, or Larry Ogajogbi to activate him off of suspension. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm kind of surprised people were that passionate about him. I know that he had an interception early on. He's a big body. I think he's batted down a few balls early on. But, man, when he's gone, he kind of disappears. So I, I'm, I'm a bit shocked by that. Do you, ha- do you have any tidbits on the guy? No, I don't have any immediate takes on it. It could be something where he clears waivers and they can sign him back to the practice squad. Uh, I'm 100% sure. Well, I, I shouldn't say I'm 100% sure because, like I said, he does have flashes here. I, I, the, the Geno Atkins, you, you do hear that, right? When he is on, people say he is very comparable to Geno Atkins. He's just is never able to put it all together for very long stretches. So I think, I honestly, I think he lands on the practice squad. I think there's a lot of other talent out there that other teams are going to want, but you know, we'll see. It's not like he's a hot commodity, so I'm a bit surprised everybody's this passionate up on a war, especially since they know that we have to make room for Ogunjobi or for David Njoku, but you know, it is what it is. But that was the, the Browns Wire podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Keatley 16 Adam, is there anything you want to add before we go? 
No, I got nothing else to add, man. I think we, I don't know how long this pod went, a little over an hour. I think we talked a lot, so I'll just let uh, let people get back to their day. And Happy uh, Thanksgiving, what, brother. What's what's your Twitter handle? Your terrible, terrible Twitter handle. Uh, terrible <laughs> Twitter handle. I, I created it in college uh, back in like 2012 or 11, whenever it all started. <laughs> it's but got, it's more, M-O-O-R-E. Two one zero two, and I we I think we talked about this last week, but oh, I, we, I was in college at Ohio State when Twitter came out, and when I created my Twitter profile, and my the, the number that I was assigned at Ohio State was two one zero two, so I was more dot two one zero two at OSU edu, so I just kept that number for everything, man. I'm more two one zero two. I I love that because now when like you respond to me on Twitter, I get a little update on my phone. And it looks like a Russian bot. I'm like, what is going on here? What are all these numbers? Right, right. But I can confirm he's a real person. Go ahead, hit him up. He's got cool betting tid- tidbits that he shares all the time. Uh, very active on Twitter. After the pod, I'm going to give you Bill Carroll's tweets. You got to check this guy out. Again, this is the Browns Wire Pod. Have a great day. See you, brother. As a Shane Company jewelry consultant, I get to work with couples looking for their dream engagement ring. Many feel overwhelmed. They just don't know where to start. And that's what I love about my job. I get to make this important experience fun and easy. We don't work on commission, so there's no pressure. First, I'll want to know, what are your ideas for your dream ring? What fits your lifestyle, your personality, your budget? Then we'll go from there. We'll look at ring settings and I'll show you options for the center stone. For example, if you choose a classic solitaire ring setting, I can show you how it'll look with different center stones, like a pear-shaped diamond or an oval pink sapphire, Or, if you want a ring that's ready to go, we can look at our perfectly preset styles. Visit your friends. We're in this together. Visit us in San Mateo, Walnut Creek, or in Cupertino, where we've moved to a new location just two miles down Stevens Creek Boulevard. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and ShaneCo.com.